page two of your Bible. It's in the very front. Genesis 2.15. We're going to flip between Genesis and James this morning. So I need one hand in Genesis. And then we marked James for you with a little yellow post-it note. So I had some great helpers that helped me do that this morning. Um, while you're returning, I thought I'll just plug our viewing party tomorrow. I hope to see you there. I hope you bring friends, family. It's a great event. I thought maybe a good question to start us this weekend as we're celebrating our nation's independence and freedom is just to ask, what is freedom? Like we celebrate freedom and, and we say all the time, I say all the time, like Christ died to set us free. You know, it's freedom that we have been set free. It's for freedom we've been set free. What is freedom? Free from slavery to sin. Whew. You got a theologian over there. <laughs> yeah. That, that is one of the things we see in the Bible over and over again. Freedom from slavery to sin. That's not necessarily what we as Americans tend to think of as freedom. Um, our definition of freedom is based largely on humanist philosophy that says, you know, we to be free, you must be free to pursue your desires, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, Sigmund Freud, for example, he believed that um, mental illness, psychosis, was a result of repressed desire. And, and because we have these desires that are repressed, it, it causes us this like mental health trauma. And, and so from that has stemmed the belief that for us to be healthy and happy, we have to be able to pursue and fulfill our desires. Is that right? defines freedom as the ability to live rightly. Not according to our desires, which change and fluctuate, but according to our created design. In other words, God has created you good. And he created you with a design and with a good purpose. And you are most free and most happy when nothing hinders you from being able to live rightly according to that created design. Now, um, I, when I was a little girl, I don't know at what age these dreams started, but I started having dreams of flying like an eagle. And they were very vivid. They were like some of the most real dreams I've ever had. And in some of them, I would like climb out of windows and like run across roofs and go, you know. And other times it was treetops and there's sometimes towers and I, I could just feel myself soaring like an eagle. And then I'd wake up and I'd like want to go back to sleep because it felt so good. Have you ever had dreams like that? Yeah. And um, even to this day, like I love watching the eagles or hawks, even vultures soar. <laughs> we tend to see more of them than eagles and hawks around here. But I love to watch them. I mean, if I could have a superpower, it would be fly. It would. So 
If I decide to actually live out my dream and climb out a window of a tall building and jump off the top so I can soar like an eagle, am I free? So not free. Like I am falling to my death, right? Because God did not create me to soar like an eagle. We can only be free when we live rightly within the confines of our created design. Which is good. And that story of me falling to my death, that is the story of humanity in the Bible. That is Adam and Eve created good and perfect in the image of God, but not content with just that. With reaching, grasping beyond the limits of their created design and falling. And humanity has been falling to our deaths ever since. But thankfully, God just doesn't sit back and watch us fall. This summer, we're studying a letter written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he writes this letter to Christians, and he starts it much like Jesus starts a sermon on the mount, by assuming we're going to have trials. And so a few weeks ago, we we dealt with that fact. Like, why do we have so many problems in this world? Why doesn't God stop them? That was June 11th. You can listen to that message online on our website. But we talked about how, how for God to stop all the painful things in this world, he would have to become a dictator who repressed human freedom. And that's not his nature. It's never been his nature. From the Garden of Eden, he gave him like just one rule. <laughs> He's never been a tyrant. And yet he does, doesn't also just sit back in apathy. He, he's come up with a plan to somehow protect human free will and intervene at the same time. And it's just this mind-blowing plan that somehow he takes our trials and our hardships and he redeems them and works good out of them. In chapter 1, James says that when we're going through trials, we can cry out to God and he will help us. He will give us wisdom on what to do in our trial. We just have to believe his guidance and not doubt it. And not only that, but as we, we listen to his wisdom and we persevere through the trial, God will start to work through that trial to mature us, to grow us and the people who have compassion and wisdom, who are mature, who know and desire to live rightly. Why? Why does God do that? Because one day he wants to raise us to new life, to live in a world where there is no more sorrow and no more pain and we won't mess it up (laughs) like we messed up this one because he's used the experiences in this world to make us mature and complete not lacking anything not lacking any wisdom or good desire that's the plan that's his plan and James, if you'll flip to the little post-it note right? keep your finger in Genesis But in James chapter 12, I just kind of summarized the first 11 verses.
I'm sorry, James chapter 1, verse 12. Thank you. Mikhail is great at calling me out when I misspeak. I love you. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's the plan. And then James begins to hone on on one specific kind of trial. There's many that we face, but he hones in on one specific kind of trial that we often face. Next verse, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire and enticed. Your NIV will add the word evil. It's not actually in the Greek language. It just says desire. And you say, well, why do they add it? Because translation is not easy, people. Okay. Um, Different translations of the Bible will be more literal. But the more literal you become in your translation, the harder it is to read. And understand. So um, I like the ESV because it's very little literal. But if you're not used to reading at an academic level, it's going to be tough. So the NIV is kind of a good middle one between being literal and easier to read. But the word evil is not actually in there. It just says desire. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire and enticed. Verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There are three principles in these three verses that I want to hone in on. One from each verse. From verse 13, that God does not tempt us. That's our first principle, okay? The second one is that our temptation comes from our own disordered desires. That's verse 14. And then verse 15, that our disordered desires lead to sin, which leads to death. All right? We're going to break those down more, but I just want to pray for a minute. God, I just ask that you help us understand this. Because this is a cycle we get caught in again and again and again. And so I pray you give us insight into this. And I pray you speak to each one of us of where we get stuck and how to break out. Because we tend to get stuck in different places. It's different for different people, but we all go through the cycle. So God, give us insight and show us how to apply it to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm actually going to start with the second principle, that temptation comes from our disordered desires. People always want to blame temptation on the devil. Oh, the devil made me do it, right? (laughs) Yeah, okay. The devil could come and put a plate of lima beans in front of me and tempt me all he wants. But I'm not going to eat them. (laughs) Because I hate lima beans. I do not have the desire for lima beans. Now, if someone puts cheesecake in front of me, that's a different story. <laughs> right? It starts with our own desires. 
And the problem is our we disorder our desires. You see, I desire to eat desserts more than I desire to eat vegetables. That's disordered. Wouldn't it be awesome <laughs> to, if I just loved eating vegetables more than dessert? That would be great. But that's not the problem I have. You know, and we do this all the time. God gives us desires that are good, but we disorder them. We get fixated on gifts that He gives us in the wrong ways. Whether it be food or money or material possessions or sex or success or knowledge or art or beauty. Guys, these are good gifts from God. But we see them and we disorder them. We want them at the wrong times, in the wrong amounts, for the wrong reasons. And it's our disordered desires from for them that lead us to sin, that lead us to misusing and abusing the good things God has created. And that sin always leads to death. Alright, keep your finger in James, but we're going to flip over to Genesis, alright? Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15. Genesis 2.15. In Genesis 1, God creates the world. Everything is good. It's a poem. In Genesis 2, it elaborates more on his good creation. And... Adam, and in verse 15 it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Farmers love that verse. And then the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I have this beautiful dogwood tree right outside my door that I go out of every day. And um, it has, like this year especially, beautiful white blossoms. And then later it gets these really vibrant red berries that are, I, I just love looking at it. And the birds love it. It's a good gift of God for the birds. They find shade in it. They nest in it. They eat the berries. It's a good gift for me. I like to look at it. I love watching the birds. It is not a gift for me to eat because those berries are poisonous for humans. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a good gift, just not one for humans to eat. Not everything we see, we can have in any way we want. So God says, look, here's this tree, or here's all of them. You can eat from anyone. This one's still good. You just can't eat from this one, okay? And then he makes Eve. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 1. We're skipping the making of Eve. <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent... I'm sorry, i got to take a drink. <clears throat> Has this been happening to anybody else more recently? Yeah. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Heck no! You're being crazy. God said we can eat from any tree in the garden, except for one. Get out of here. No, that's not what she said. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Is it true that they couldn't touch it? Where did she get that idea from? That they couldn't even touch it. In Christianity, this is what we call legalism. Where God gives us a command, and then people add more commands onto that command. And it's very dangerous when religious leaders get legalistic. And they say, God says you can't do this, and you shouldn't do this, and this is it. And and they're adding commands onto God's command. Because it gives people a perception that God is harsh. Where did Eve get this idea from? Some scholars believe it was from Adam. Because Adam was actually the one that God taught the command. And then he made Eve and and Adam taught Eve the command. We don't know. Maybe she came up with it on her own. But do you see how she already has this kind of jaded view of God that he's withholding he's a little more restrictive than he needs to be have you ever had that thought that god is restricting something good from you kind of holding back we've all thought that at times we've all thought that at times verse four you will certainly not die the serpent said to the woman For for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The crazy thing about this is they were already like God. He had made them in his image. They were already good and made in the image of God. But they weren't content with that. They wanted to be like God himself. They wanted to define good and evil for themselves. And so Eve reaches beyond the boundary of her created design. She's grasping for equality with God. And Adam, who's right there with her, stays silent through the whole temptation and just watches. Why? Because he was curious too. And so, instead of cherishing Eve, he lets her be the guinea pig, and when she doesn't drop dead, he eats. And that might be why Romans 5.12 says sin entered the world through Adam, not Eve. The point is, they both sinned. They both did. They both wanted to be equal with God. 
I want to contrast that to what Philippians 2 says. I've, I've quoted this verse many times, but Philippians 2 says, In your relationships with one another, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, he took the nature of a servant. Remember how James 1.13 says, God cannot be tempted by evil. It's because he doesn't have disordered desires. He doesn't try to grasp for power. He lays it down. Over and over again, he lays it down. Because God doesn't have disordered desires, he can't be tempted. And he doesn't tempt anyone else to do what is wrong. And when you are tempted, he just doesn't sit back. He is ready, waiting to help. You just have to ask. And he will generously give you wisdom without saying, hmm, let me see if you deserve it. He doesn't find fault. He will give you wisdom. You just have to ask and believe the guidance that he gives you. But Adam and Eve, they didn't believe what God had said. They didn't believe his command when they were tempted. They didn't ask him for a clarification. He would have generously given them the knowledge of what to do. But instead of asking God for wisdom, they tried to grab it for themselves. They tried to grab that knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And then they blamed God for the consequences. Verse 8. Genesis 2, 3. Sorry, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Good luck with that. All right. But the Lord is, is so patient. Like the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? <laughs> yeah. And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. There it is. The double blame. Blame the people around you. Blame God for putting the people around you. Like, we never do that, right? (laughs) All the time. All the time. God is not the one to blame for our temptation. He gives us good and perfect gifts. And when we are tempted to abuse his good and perfect gifts, he will provide a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 13 through 14 says this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So don't think you're going through something that is so difficult nobody's ever dealt with it before. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to bear it. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 
That's how you endure temptation, is by taking God's way out of it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Why does it say that? Why does it say, when it's talking about your temptations, why does it say flee from idolatry? Because idolatry is that desire to be our own God. That's the root of all idolatry. Wanting to define good and evil for ourselves. Did it ever occur to you that Adam and Eve already had the knowledge of good and evil? Read Genesis 1. God creates something. Good, 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 good. Everything around them is good. They knew what was good. They had the knowledge of good. He tells them the one thing that is bad. Don't eat the dogwood fruit. Bad. They had the knowledge. They just didn't trust God's definition of it. They doubted God's definition of what was good and what was evil, and they tried to grasp it for themselves, define what is good and evil for themselves. That's the root of all idolatry, is making ourselves God, making ourselves a judge of what's good and right and what's wrong and bad. And we must flee from that temptation. When what God says is not good starts looking pretty good to us. We need to flee from it. Because if we linger with those tempting thoughts, they will always convince us that they're not harmful and that they don't lead to anything bad. When the serpent makes the outrageous suggestion that God won't let them eat from any tree, instead of dismissing him, Eve dialogues with him. She dialogues with him. And he convinces her of exactly what she wants to hear. Of exactly what she's wishing for. That her own desire to define for herself what is good isn't going to kill her. You will certainly not die, he says. My friends, don't dialogue with your tempting thoughts. The more you dialogue with tempting thoughts, the more comfortable you become with them. And the more you become convinced that they're not harmful. It may sound cheesy, but there are times um, when tempting thoughts come to me. And if they are especially strong, I say out loud, no. I have to say it out loud. And just like, no, you are not good. I do not want you. In the name of Jesus, get out of my head. And then I have to ask God for help to shift my mind to something different and find that way out. Our disordered desires will lead to sin, whether that sin be greed or gluttony or jealousy or pride or immorality, whatever it be, and those sins will always lead to destruction. Um, In 2003, I don't know if you heard this story, 2003, There was a man, Antoine Yates, and he showed up in the ER at a New York hospital. And he had these huge gashes on his neck and arm and legs. And he said that they were caused by a pit bull. And authorities were like, they were deep. And so they were skeptical. And they did some investigation. And they went to his home. He had an apartment in Harlem. Public housing. If you can imagine an apartment in Harlem. And there they found a 425-pound Bengal tiger. 
and a five-foot-long alligator in his apartment in Harlem. And um, it's a great story. Like, you can Google it, and you can find out how they, like, repelled off the roof to shoot a dart through the window and all this kind of stuff. But um, he bought the tiger cub when it, it was just eight weeks old. And he named it Ming. It was this cute thing. He would cuddle it and nurture it. He would play with it. He would sleep with it. And as it grew bigger and bigger, he had it for two and a half years. In two and a half years, it became 425 pounds. And he was still sleeping with it. And he said it was his brother and his best friend. And he had this dream. He was saving up money and was about to buy a plot of land where he wanted to establish a Garden of Eden where he could live in harmony with all these exotic animals. One day, after two and a half years, he brings home a little kitten named Shadow to be part of their family. And Ming pounces on Shadow. Yates tries to intervene, and Ming mauls him. And he ends up in the ER. My friends, your little pet desires, and ones that make you feel good, they can grow to be 425-pound tigers that will maul you. Our disordered desires lead to sin, and it leads to death every time. Fantasizing about a celebrity or co-worker, it leads to discontentment with your spouse. It will harm your marriage and your kids every time. Coveting things you haven't earned will cause you to become unhappy and dissatisfied with your life, spend money you do not have, and become in bondage to debt. Filling your body with unhealthy things, it does make you sick. But we're so good at denying these things. I once took a woman to a chemo treatment for her lung cancer. And she got back from her chemo treatment, got in the car, and lit up a cigarette. And I said, what are you doing? And she goes, I really don't think my smoking has anything to do with my lung cancer. Guys, we make those kind of justifications all the time. We can point it out when somebody else does it and it's stupid, but we are blind when we are doing it to ourselves. James 1, 14 through 18. I'm going to read it again. You can read along with me. James 1, 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That's Jesus Christ. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Every good and perfect gift 
comes from God. And if it's not coming from God, it's not a good and perfect gift. What are those little pet desires? We all have them. What are, what is yours that you need to get rid of? Because you've blinded yourself of how it's becoming a 425-pound tiger. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, I've tried. I've tried. I've battled that desire for so long. I can't change it. It's part of me. I'll never change. No. No. God is the one who does not change. Praise Jesus. God is the one who does not change. But we do. He is the father of the heavenly lights. Why does it say that? Because the heavenly lights, the sun and the stars, they are always shining. They are always shining. When we can't see the sun, it's not because it stopped shining. It's because our earth has turned from it. When we can't feel God's light and love and his wisdom, it's not because he stopped shining it to it and giving it to us. It's because we've turned from him. He does not change. But by the word of truth, by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, He transforms us and He begins to bear fruit in us. And those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, you know this is true. You know that He transforms your desires. There are things that you once struggled with that you do not struggle with anymore. And you can testify to that. So you hold on to those first fruits, okay? You gotta hold on to them. You gotta remember how God has already got rid of your five foot long alligator. And he will be faithful to get rid of that tiger too. Philippians 1, I think I got this right. Philippians 1, 6. It says, he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, I'm going to teach more about how to resist temptation and how God transforms our desires, our disordered desires, back into rightly ordered desires. I'll talk about that next Sunday, but for now, I want to encourage you to believe the word of truth, to believe God's word and let him define what is good and evil for you. And be real with yourself about where your disordered desires lead to. Name those desires. Name what the desire is. Name how it's been twisted. And be real to yourself. Map it out. This is what it leads to. This is a sin. And this is the destruction that's going to come from that sin. Write it out on paper. You've got to make it as clear to yourself as you possibly can. And then confess it to God. And ask for his wisdom and help. As we go through this series on James, um, I want to practice the things that James actually tells us to do. He tells us to listen to God and ask Him for wisdom. He tells us to confess our sins one to another so that we can be healed. So I want to practice those things. I'm going to pray and ask God to give us wisdom 
regarding our disordered desires, regarding our temptation, regarding the way out. Okay? And then um, the worship team will sing. And as they sing, you're going to have some different options of how to respond. We have communion up here at the front. The bread is the body of Christ that is broken for you, for the healing of your body. His blood, the cup is his blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. You can come and participate. When we participate in Jesus and identify with his death and resurrection, we are dying more and more to our old way of life, those sinful desires, and being resurrected to the new and good desires. You can do that. There's prayer bowls up here too. If you want to write out prayers and present them to the Lord, folded prayers, never read. Unfolded prayers, I will read and pray for you. And you can sign them or you can do that anonymously. Um, Some of you just need to to get rid of pet desires and sacrifice them to the Lord. And so you can write it out, map it out. What is the desire, how it's been twisted, where is it leading to? You can write it out and sacrifice it to the Lord and go burn it on the altar back there. And um, there's communion back there for you too. Some of you may need to confess your sin. Some sins will just continue to grow and thrive as long as we keep them in the dark. And we have to drag them into the light. And so if you need to confess, Pastor Eric is going to be back there. I'm going to be back there. Um, You can just write whatever you need to confess on a sheet of paper. There's a stand with some paper. There's also paper and pens in your baskets. Um, You don't have to give details. You just got to name it. Just name it. And then if you need to confess, you can confess to Eric. And he will pray over you. And assure you of God's forgiveness. And women, I'll do the same for you. And then you can sacrifice it. You can burn it on the altar and take communion if you like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we both love and hate these cycles. We both love and hate the cycles of desire being twisted and disordered and leading to sin. We never like when the destruction comes, though. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will quiet all distracting thoughts. And we will hear from you. That you will quiet thoughts of shame from the enemy. That you will quiet thoughts of self-justification from ourselves. That you will quiet all those distracting thoughts. And we will hear from you. And we will think your thoughts after you. Give us wisdom. Of what cycle we are trapped in. And what is the way out? Your way out. God, give us courage and conviction so we won't doubt.
God, I pray that you give us hope. Remind us of the first fruits you've borne in our lives that we've seen you bear in the lives of others. And strengthen our hope and faith that you will complete the good work you've started. We love you, God. Help us to love and trust you more than anything else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.